the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Now, maybe you think, well, I don't call anybody a fool. I, I, I've never even heard the word raka before today and, and fool, and I don't do that stuff. But if you get angry and tell someone where they can go, and you know exactly what I mean, or just curse at them, Jesus said that's the same thing as murder. Do you know what a zounderkite is? <laughs> Sounds cool, right? Zounderkite. If you called someone a zounderkite, they would probably have no idea that you had insulted their intelligence. Zounderkite is an old Victorian word that means idiot. Most of us love a good insult, especially if it's one we give rather than receive, and some are really funny. But Jesus had some pretty strong words to say about insults and name-calling. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're studying the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. In verse 21, Jesus told about the prohibition of murder. But then in verse 22, Jesus said, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. You know, it's a lot easier to commit murder than most of us think. Here's Pastor Steve now with today's lesson. Jesus now outlines for us three ways that murder is committed by people. Three ways we commit murder. They're actually all related. It's really one way, but expressed three different ways. Just one way. Three different ways that murder in our hearts takes place. First of all, the first way we commit murder is when we are angry in our hearts with our brother. Notice how Jesus put it at the beginning of verse 22. He said, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. See, anger is a serious sin. It's not to be taken lightly. It's not to be minimized. Anger in the heart, watch this, this is critical. Anger in the heart not only leads to murder, but what Jesus is talking about is that anger itself is the same thing as murder. You see, if we don't understand that that way, we'll, we'll be just as smug as the Pharisees. Well, I've never gotten that angry that I've picked up a gun and killed someone, so I'm okay. That's not what our Lord is saying. It is true that that kind of anger can lead to outward killing. But what the Lord is saying is that anger in the heart, whether you pick up a gun or not, as far as God is concerned, is the same thing as murder. What John Cheney did, as I said before, was the same thing as murder. And whenever we have anger in our hearts towards someone, we have murdered them. That's what Jesus is teaching. See, in effect, the Lord is telling the people, don't listen to your scribes and Pharisees who tell you that you're only guilty of murder if you've, if you physically killed someone. They're wrong. I'm telling you that if you have anger in your heart 
toward someone, then you are guilty of murder and you deserve God's judgment. That is what he's saying. Now, at this point, I think it's helpful to clarify something. In condemning anger toward someone as murder, Jesus isn't teaching that all anger is evil. The Bible refers to a form of, of anger that is actually righteous. When Scripture says, speaks of God's wrath towards unbeliever, that's a form of righteous anger, or righteous indignation. Psalm 7 verse 11 says that God is angry with the wicked every day. That, that's righteous anger. God has every right to be like that. The Lord himself demonstrated righteous anger and indignation when he kicked out the crooks from the temple. In fact, he did that several times. Jesus was angry. And he was angry, the Bible says in Mark 3, 5, he was angry at the hardness of the hearts of, of some of the folks who, who were opposed and criticized him for healing on the Sabbath. The Bible says he was angry. And even though we are fallen creatures, and we have to be very careful about this because sometimes what we might think is righteous indignation is just sinful anger, yet the Bible says in Ephesians 4.26, be angry and yet sin not. So there is a form of righteous indignation. We ought to be. We ought to be upset when God's name is taken in vain, when, when the Lord is dishonored, when God's word is violated. We ought to be angry. However, that's not the kind of anger that Jesus was talking about in connection with murder. That's not it at all. The kind of anger that Jesus had in mind was selfish anger, self-centered anger directed at someone because they've done something against you, against me. It's the anger, folks, of pride. Every time I have ever examined my anger, sinful anger, it always, without any exception, comes back to pride. My attitude is, do they know who they're talking to? How dare they speak to me this way? Do they know who I am? Folks, that's just wicked pride. Wicked pride. One Bible teacher explained the Greek word for anger as having to do with, with brooding, simmering anger that is nurtured and it's not allowed to die. It's kept alive. This is the kind of anger that holds a grudge. This is the kind of anger that refuses to forgive. This is the kind of anger that justifies that. This is the kind of anger that cherishes and nurtures resentment so that it develops into deep-seated bitterness that rejects all attempts at reconciliation. You see, the anger of murder is an inner anger of pride, self-exaltation, hatred, malice, jealousy, revenge, all of that. All that animosity, it is the anger of a wicked heart that exalts itself against other people who threaten to keep us from getting what we want. And let me show you this. James chapter 4. James is rather, is rather blunt. The whole book is just very straightforward. In James chapter 4, he just tells it the way it is. James 4 verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? So he's saying, well, where does this come from? Why are you fighting with other people? He said, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members means what you desire? Isn't that the source? You want something? And then he explains, you lust. He's not talking here about sexual lust. He's talking about lust meaning desire, an obsessive desire. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. He's talking about that that perspective that says, I'm the most important person on the whole planet. I want that. And this person is keeping me from getting that. Therefore, I hate that person. 
I despise that person. That person got in my way of getting what I wanted to get. See, murderous anger always, always starts in our hearts. And watch this, if not restrained by the fear of consequences, the fear of getting caught, the fear of punishment, the the fear of what other people will think about us, if not for the fear of consequences, our anger would end up taking someone's life if we thought we could get away with it. Now, anyone here who says, oh, I would never do that, doesn't understand their own hearts, doesn't understand how wicked you are. We're all capable of it. Jesus said that out of the heart come murders. Murder is in our hearts. And 1 John 3.15 says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You don't have to take their life personally. You're still a murderer. Now, the main point, the main point that Jesus is making is that his disciples are to live by a higher standard of righteousness than the scribes and Pharisees. We're not to have inward feelings of animosity in our hearts towards others. Now, we and here's the difference, and understand this because you might be thinking, but and you should be thinking, but I've hated people. I've been so angry at people. But here's the difference. A true believer repents. A true believer recognizes his sin. A true believer doesn't hold a grudge. A true believer doesn't make it a lifestyle of a, of lack, of a lack of forgiveness. A true believer doesn't justify a sin. A true believer repents of inner anger. Pharisees never do that. Hypocrites never do that. They're too proud to humble themselves. Hypocrites never do that. They're never wrong. They justify their anger. Well, here's what that person did to me. That's why I'm so angry. That's not the mark of a true believer. A true believer has strained relationships with with others at times, but they do everything they can to get it straightened out. Pharisees don't do that. It simmers and simmers and simmers, and they're angry with everybody, and they exalt themselves over everybody, and they feel superior because of, of knowing more than others and thinking that they've, that they've been obedient where the common folks haven't because they keep the law, but they miss the point. Now, there's a second way that we can commit murder, and it has to do with speaking words of contempt to others. Because remember, Jesus had said in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? Speaks. Whatever in your heart is going to come out. Whatever we say, we say because it's already been in our hearts. And it's in light of that principle that he goes on in verse 22 to give another way that murder expresses itself. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. The expression good for nothing is a translation of of really not a Greek word, but an Aramaic word, raka, which means something like empty headed. But it's a lot stronger than that, because you see, there's no exact modern uh, English equivalent to that to that word. But the basic thought behind it was it was a word of contempt, of disdain, of derision, of slander. To say to someone, call them raka, would be to highly insult them. It would be like, and it's even, it's not even strong enough when I say this, but it'd be something like calling someone a, a stupid idiot, a worthless fellow, a brainless person. How bad was this word? Though scripture doesn't tell us exactly how the Roman soldiers mocked Jesus when they were putting him on the cross and beating him, this though would have been a word that would have fit that context. They might have said, you brainless idiot, you worthless fool. That's, that's the spirit of this word. Do away with someone like that. 
It was such a hate-filled expression of contempt and slander that Jesus said, if you dare to call somebody Raka, you were guilty of murder. And therefore, you were guilty before the Supreme Court of Israel. The Supreme Court of Israel was the Sanhedrin. That was the highest Jewish council that did have the authority to pronounce the death penalty by stoning. Listen, what you and I say to other people matters. Matters. Derogatory names, insults are forms of murder because they can destroy someone's reputation. They assassinate their character. And you can cut someone down with words that kill them on the inside, destroy them. And God says, if you do this, you are guilty of murder and you deserve to be condemned to death as a murderer. So be careful how you speak to other people. You see, true righteousness is concerned not only with with inward thoughts, but with outward words. Paul addresses this in Ephesians chapter 4. If we really know the Lord, we don't just want to refrain from saying bad words to people, insulting them. We want to say good things. And Paul speaks about this in Ephesians 4, verse 29, where he says he's talking about the behavior of true believers as opposed to the baggage we brought into our Christian lives. This is the way a true believer is to behave, he says. Let no unwholesome, verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only such a word as is good for edification. Let's stop here. Unwholesome word is not just a curse word. could include that, but it's anything that's rotten. That's what the word means. Uh, It was used of rotten fish or rotten fruit. Anything that would be a put down, any insult. Let no word like that proceed from your mouth. But when you do speak, speak words of edification. Build someone up. Don't cut them down. Build them up according to the need of the moment, according to what they're going through, know enough about them to know how to edify them so that it will give grace to those who hear, so that it will strengthen them, that it will encourage them. Don't destroy them. Encourage them. Build them up. That's what we're to do. We're not to have anger in our hearts towards others. We're not to speak contemptuous words towards others. All that Jesus said is murder. It's murder. But the Lord takes it a step further And he gives a third way that we can commit murder. Notice how he closes verse 22. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the the fiery hell. This is exceptionally strong language, very stern language. Jesus said that to call someone a fool made you guilty enough to be sent to hell. Now, obviously, he's not referring to light hearted talk and jesting that might say to someone, oh, you're so foolish, you're, you're so silly. The Greek word for fool is morose, from which we get our English word moron. To call someone a morose, a fool in Christ's day was not an attack upon their intelligence. It wasn't saying, oh, your IQ isn't, isn't higher than a moron. He's not using it like that. It was an attack upon, upon their moral character, because in the Bible, a fool is somebody who's really uh, an unbeliever. He's a rebel, a stubborn rebel, someone doomed for hell, an apostate, a hardened unbeliever, someone who, who is so wicked that they even deny the very existence of God. A number of times the Psalms tell us that the fool has said in his heart what? There is no God. And some would translate that in the Hebrew, not that there is no God, but no God, no to God. Whichever way it's translated it comes out the same. There is no God means I'm going to do my own thing anyway. No God means I'm going to do my own thing anyway too. 
Proverbs is filled with statements and very stern warnings addressed to fools and their unwise behavior. Now, it's certainly not wrong to warn a a person who's foolishly living in opposition to Scripture. It's not wrong to say you're living like a fool, like the Bible's definition of a fool. But it is wrong to maliciously call someone a fool out of anger. That's what Christ is addressing. Now, maybe you think, well, I don't call anybody a fool. I, I, I've never even heard the word raka before today and, and fool, and I don't do that stuff. But if you get angry and tell someone where they can go, and you know exactly what I mean, or spice up your conversation with words like damn in the context of, of using that with someone, or just curse at them, Jesus said that's the same thing as murder. That's the same thing as murder. And you're guilty enough, he said, to end up in hell yourself. Isn't that ironic? You tell someone that they are destined for hell, and Jesus said anybody who speaks like that, that's where they're going because that shows that they're, they're a murderer and they've never really come to know me. So you've broken God's law. The word, by the way, for hell is very interesting. It's the Greek word Gehenna. Gehenna referred to the, a valley in Jerusalem, the valley of Hinnom, there are a number of valleys in Jerusalem. You have Kidron, you have Hinnom. But the valley of Hinnom in Jerusalem was the garbage dump of the city in that day. It's not today, but it was the garbage dump of the city. And in that day, it was um, a place where trash was continuously burned so that the fires actually never went out. Jesus used that imagery a number of times to refer to eternal torment where the worm does not die and the fires don't go out. And this judgment of hell was really the sternest words that that the Lord used about the penalty for murder. And by saying that, he didn't mean that God would be more lenient to those who were just angry or those who said raka than he would be for someone who, who called another a fool. He's not giving levels of murder. It's all murder. It all constitutes murder. Jesus just came at it from three different angles to emphasize how murder is committed. It's all murder. Whether you have anger in your heart, insults, cursings, in order to, he's just making a point. His point is that all animosity directed at an individual is murder and therefore makes you worthy of eternal punishment in hell because you are a lawbreaker. You are a lawbreaker. Now listen, the Pharisees thought they were innocent. They thought they were good people. They thought they were innocent of murder because they hadn't taken anyone's life. And maybe that's the way you think. Maybe that's the way you think. That's the way most people think. But they're wrong, and and you're wrong if you think that. If you have had animosity in your heart towards anybody, and all of us have, then we are as guilty of committing murder as any serial killer. Now, that'll take a swipe at self-righteousness, won't it? Now, you understand why the Pharisees were so lifted up with pride, why, why Jesus gave a parable of the Pharisees who said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, those common people. That's just wicked pride. And, and we're guilty of that, too. If we have the attitude, we're above others. Because look how terrible what, a, what that person did. Listen, we're all capable of that. And in our hearts, we've done it. We've done it. Maybe we just didn't have enough courage and boldness to actually murder someone physically, but we've done it in our hearts and we're guilty. In our, in our pride, and there are many people like this, that they are so proud and they don't deal with their pride, they are constantly angry. I know people like this. The anger is just below the surface. It does not take much to bring it out. It's like pushing a button. One, one little word brings it out. 
It is just simmering below the surface. And when, they, when you have that attitude, you look down with contempt upon others because you think you're superior to them and you don't recognize your own sin because you don't necessarily go and physically do those things, but you have that anger right there. Now, as believers in Christ, as I said before, we sometimes have, restrain, we have strained relationships with others. And at times we can get very angry with them. But let me emphasize this again. The difference between a fa- the false righteousness of the Pharisees and the true righteousness of, of born-again believers is that we do something about our strained relationships. We repent and we make every effort to be reconciled with everyone and anyone we have wronged regardless of how humbling it is to us, regardless of that. And that's why Jesus went on to give a second important truth about murder and righteousness. The first one is that murder is an issue of the heart. Secondly, second important truth about murder and righteousness is that the solution to murder is resolving conflicts with others. I want to read to you verses 23 through 26. Therefore, If you are presenting your offering at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Now, having told us that anger is, is the, at the heart of murder, the Lord now gives two illustrations of the importance of resolving conflicts with others so that we don't harbor evil thoughts. We don't harbor animosity. It doesn't, it doesn't continuously go on and on. The first illustration that he gave is in the context of a Jewish person worshiping the Lord at the temple in the city of Jerusalem. And just as he's about to offer an animal sacrifice, and Jewish people, by the way, had a, by law, had to go up at least three times a year to certain special feast festivals to offer these sacrifices. But just as this, this person is about to offer a sacrifice for his sin, there he suddenly remembers, as he's thinking about his own sin, there it comes to his mind that he's actually wronged somebody. He's, a, he's about to have this animal killed as a symbolic measure of of his own sin. And there he remembers a specific sin. He's wronged somebody. Jesus said that, that that person is to leave the animal there and go and be reconciled. He said that being reconciled to that person is so important that he's to just stop whatever he's doing. Stop his worship. Go to his his brother and resolve the conflict. Now, this is really significant. Keep in mind, the people that Jesus was addressing in in the Sermon on the Mount were Galileans. Jerusalem is about a three days journey from Galilee. Is Jesus saying this is so important that you be reconciled to your brother that you actually give the animal to somebody or just lose it and then go make a three-day journey north to Galilee, straighten it out, be reconciled and then come back another three days journey to Jerusalem. That's exactly what he's saying. It's exactly what he's saying. He said, go. It's so important. Stop your worship. Go travel. It'll take you about a week. You'll do it. Then come back and worship. He said, be reconciled. How do we get reconciled? 
How do we become reconciled to our brother? And he's using, by the way, brother in a generic sense, not, not just another believer, not somebody in your family, but anybody you've wronged. How do you get reconciled? The only way reconciliation ever takes place is by humbly asking someone's forgiveness. I've sinned against you. Would you please forgive me? I've asked God to forgive me. Now I ask you to forgive me. I was wrong. Wow. To stop what you're doing right now and take a one-week trip to be reconciled so that your worship can be acceptable, that takes real commitment, doesn't it? But it really is that important to be reconciled to each other. God sacrificed His own Son, in fact, so that we can be reconciled to Him. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse, a Bible study of the air led by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Find out more about Lakeside at lakesidechapel.com. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater, and the phone number is 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714. If you missed any broadcasts in this series about the Sermon on the Mount and want to catch up, it's very easy to do at our website, firstbyverseradio.org. Just click on the Message Archive link and search for the date or dates you need. There's no charge for these files, but if you would like to support Verse by Verse, there's a giving page for your convenience. We're thankful for the generous listeners who help with our expenses. This is Jerry Peterson. Come back for the next Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve Kreloff shares more about the Sermon on the Mount and how it should affect us not only on Sunday, but every day. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.